Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. shenanigans. I'm your muse, Tara Lamont Eastman, a creative, a feminist, and a pastor. This podcast is part Bible story, part personal story, and wraps up with a poem or a song that creates an experience that is never stuffy, but is always sacred. In this week's episode, I'll tell you a Bible story filled with mystery, some remembrances of books and bonfires, and leave you with some questions meant to activate your own spiritual curiosity. In this week's Bible lesson, we're returning to a Bible story I've mentioned in an earlier episode. We're going back to John 3, to the account of Nicodemus and the well-known text of John 3, 16 and 17. If this introduction to this week's Bible story brings to mind mystery and suspense, you are definitely on the right track where things are going. Mystery. Suspense. Supernatural. Yes, this account of Nicodemus coming to see Jesus in the cover of night has all these qualities. In John's Gospel, Nicodemus appears three times. In this account, he visits Jesus at night in John 3, verses 1 through 21. The second time Nicodemus is mentioned, he reminds his colleagues in the Sanhedrin that the law requires a person be heard before they are judged in John 7. Finally, Nicodemus appears after the crucifixion of Jesus to provide the customary embalming spices and assists Joseph of Arimathea in preparing the body of Jesus for burial in John 19. Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish religious group of Pharisees called the Sanhedrin. This group of leaders served in the role of governing legal body of the Galilean Jewry. And so you can imagine the risk Nicodemus goes to to go talk to Jesus and probably is part of why he goes after sunset to ask his questions. When Nicodemus meets up with Jesus, he admits that he is different than anyone he's ever known before, that he can do these signs and must be from God. And Jesus answers him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. 
When Jesus tells Nicodemus, an expert in Jewish law, that he must be born from above or born again, Nicodemus is confused. He takes Jesus' words literally. I have to go back into my mother's womb? How is this possible? What did I tell you? Mystery, surprise, the supernatural. All Nicodemus wants to know is how can these things be? Jesus continues to teach Nicodemus that he is thinking about things in a very literal and limited way. So Jesus tries to expand Nicodemus's point of view by telling him about God who loves the world so much that he's going to give his son, that this son does not come to condemn the world. This is where the reading for this lectionary for Holy Trinity Sunday ends. But Jesus continues to teach Nicodemus some more. John's gospel uses the metaphor of light and darkness to speak of spiritual struggle and ends with giving Nicodemus a challenge. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This little sentence at the end of this exchange of heavy-hitting Bible texts, for me, is a beautiful expression of the grace of God. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, seeking spiritual clarity, and Jesus tells him some hard truths. You're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? In the face of Jesus' challenge to his understanding and teaching as an expert of the law, Nicodemus stayed and questioned and listened. He asked his hard questions. He faced some hard truths about himself. And if I understand the continued relationship between Nicodemus and Jesus, I believe Jesus not only became his rabbi, but his Messiah. Growth and change is part of spiritual life. Asking questions means that we're still learning, that we're still open to something new. Asking questions of God is not disrespectful. Asking questions of God is not from a lack of faith. Like we learn from this first encounter with Nicodemus and Jesus, asking questions is the brave process of coming into the light. Mystery, suspense, and the supernatural? This is the path to spiritual growth? I think so. All of which brings me to a holy shenanigans story or two about books, bonfires, and being reborn with the help of some brave questions. Since I was very young, my mom got me as many books as she could. From the tender age of three, I was reading with the help of books on tape that I would turn the page as they would go, beep. This beeping book on tape led me to beginning to learn how to read before kindergarten. Slowly and surely, I made my way through every kid's book in the house. And when I ran out of books, I would wait for the bookmobile to come to my house. We lived in a rural community with a library too far away to walk. So what must have been a converted mobile home traveled all over the county, over the creek and through the woods on the dirt road that we lived on. So this magical bookmobile would arrive and I would choose my three books for the week so that I could borrow them. By the time I was in kindergarten, I had made my way through most of the kids' catalog in this bookmobile. So one day I asked the librarian, what was the biggest book she had. She went over to a tall shelf and pulled off a thick book with lacy green and white dust cover and the title, Greensleeves. She showed it to me and said, I think this might be a bit old for you, but if you want to give it a try, here you go. So I agreed and I was so excited. I was going to read the biggest book in the bookmobile. And so I did. 
I read the book. But the content of the book just didn't seem to add up. While I could read the words, the context and the quantity just didn't add up. When I returned the big book to the bookmobile, the librarian asked what I thought. Trying to be mature, I said, it just wasn't my cup of tea, and moved on to some more friendly chapter books. And so I kept reading. I graduated from the catalog at the bookmobile and moved to my school library, then the large city library up the road, and in adolescence to my favorite bookstore, Walden Books. My mom, ever encouraging me to keep reading, always found money for my book purchases. If I was reading, she was happy. When I was reading, I was happy. This was an excellent arrangement. That was until my teen years, when a leader at my youth group made the distinction between what he thought to be good books and bad books. In his mind, secular equated bad, and King James Version of the Bible, and only the Bible or things that discussed it, equated the sacred reading for our young minds to focus on. Up to this point, I'd read tons of books, and some I liked, and some like Greensleeves was just not my cup of tea. But bad books? There is no such thing. Books were books, and a source of insight and education that without, I'd been left to a state of ignorance. It was the late 80s, and though I was unaware of it, there was a morality war raging in church world. In some churches and youth groups, a tide of secular media is bad and religious media is good was making its way and doing some weeding in the lives of the people who were part of it. This war against secular media and books went to the extreme. And in my experience, with a youth leader hosting a tape, CD, and book burning one summer night, they had hot dogs and s'mores, and yes, they asked the kids to bring their collections of bad secular media to burn. But I loved my books, and I resisted the pressure of that event and did not bring anything to burn. But the words and pressure of this so-called leader had made its impression. Were my collection of books bad? If I wanted God to be in my life, did it mean these books and tapes all had to be destroyed? The night of the youth bonfire, my heart knew that burning my books was not something God had asked me to do, but the leader insisted that the secular stuff had to go. Today, I think of this leader who was a flash in the pan of this youth ministry, and I think that they were motivated by their own desire to have power over others. In that moment, I refused to add to the burn pile. My mom had given me good money for those books. But my struggle with the now deemed bad books was something that came home with me from youth group. The book burner's words of judgment and shame about bad books and music rattled in my mind and heart. I went to my bookshelves and looked at what was there. What was bad? What was good? Was there any middle? I wasn't sure how to determine any difference. But slowly and sadly, I gathered up the books and tapes that the book burner would say were bad, and I headed to the burn barrel. One by one, I tore up the paperbacks, section by section. I rolled them up into paper balls and lit a match like I'd learn in Girl Scouts and watched them burn. As the pages curled up in yellow and red and in flame, I wept 
I've betrayed myself and the books that were good friends. I had followed the letter of that book burner's law. I burned my bad books and my cassette tapes. This leader had promised this action would prove my commitment to God that my heart would feel light and free. But all that was left of my heart after that book burning were ashes of much-loved literature and my broken, book-loving heart. There is a verse in 2 Corinthians 9-7 that speaks about the things we give to God and how they should be given. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I know now that the call to burn my books was an action to shame a young woman empowered and educated by reading. It was a power play of patriarchy and fundamentalism disguised as the church. My decision to go home and burn my books and tapes was an action in response to this pressure of shame and on my part was a gift of reluctance and compulsion. The sacrifice of my secular media was a desperate attempt to fit in. This experience with the book burner was the beginning of me understanding that just because someone says they have your best interest in mind does not mean that they do. Some people's motivations are for power or greed or hatred. Spiritual leadership is a sacred trust and one that should be treated as such. If as a teen I'd heard and taken the Nicodemus story to heart, I doubt I would have collected my books and taken them to the burn barrel. If I had known and followed Nicodemus's brave and vulnerable example, I would have felt more empowered to reject the hateful ask to burn books. Instead of heading to the burn barrel with all my treasured books in hand, I wish I would have been taught that taking hard questions to God is good and just and needed, that Jesus could handle the hard questions, that Jesus could help me deal with my fears that Jesus was quite familiar with shame and rejection, that in that space of my own fear, shame, and rejection, I was in good company. And while I was not yet aware of the presence of Nicodemus and Jesus with me at that day at the burn barrel, I was not alone. In this holy shenanigans story, I don't have a tidy wrap-up to the question of what is sacred and what is secular but I suspect that it's all sacred. I don't exactly have this tidy conclusion for you, but what I can say is this, that if people are in positions of power over other vulnerable people, there need to be some checks and balances. Misuses of power can start small, but can lead to great harm. Things like book burnings, actions to limit thought and imagination, are not sacred actions. While this was my one and only association with book burning, I am reminded of how a small action of hatred can spread. In all seriousness, the holy shenanigans lesson this time is about the importance of using our brains and hearts and our gut instincts. These are the things that God has given us. We need to use them. If someone asks you to do something, to make a statement of commitment, to God or to country or to any organization, do some research. Find out the intent and motivation of the person asking for this commitment. Do not, and I repeat, do not allow pressure, shame, or fear 
to direct your actions. So we come to the part of the episode where we have some questions to ask. Thanks, Nicodemus, for the reminder to do this. Because asking questions of God is, in fact, the space of vulnerability we all need in order to learn something new. Remember that song? It only takes a spark. It only takes a spark of curiosity to help us to ask hard questions of God. It's in this questioning that we are fired up in our heart and spirit. What if we're like Nicodemus and we have the courage to go into the dark night of the soul, seeking answers and knowing that we're not alone in our questions? So instead of me giving you a question this week, I ask you to be of good courage, to be brave, to be vulnerable, and to take your hard and difficult questions to God or however you define your higher spiritual power. In the book, Celtic Daily Prayer, there is a reflection for May 21st, and it is a focus on the courageous questioner of God, Elie Wiesel. In his book, A Jew Today, Elie writes, As the one surviving family member after the imprisonment of his Jewish family by the Nazis, he prays, Master of the universe, I know what you want. I understand what you are doing. You want despair to overwhelm me. You want me to cease believing in you, to cease praying to you, to cease invoking your name, to glorify and sanctify it. Will I tell you no? No, a thousand times no. You shall not succeed. In spite of me and in spite of you, I shall shout the Kadesh, a Jewish prayer said often during the first year of bereavement which is a song of faith for you and against you. This song you shall not still, God of Israel. We pray to God because God has too much to answer for to be allowed to simply disappear, because we have to protest against God as well as to God, and because the only alternative is despair or silence. So, dear hearts, ask your questions, seek your answers, stand up to the bullies. Read the damn books. For this week's poem, I'm featuring a well-known poem about courage by Martin Niemöller. Niemöller was a German theologian and a Lutheran pastor best known for his opposition to the Nazi regime during the late 1930s, for his opposition to the Nazis' state control of the churches. Niemöller was imprisoned in concentration camps from 1938 to 1945. He narrowly escaped execution. After his imprisonment, he expressed his deep regret about not having done enough to help the victims of the Nazis. He turned away from his earlier nationalistic beliefs and was one of the initiators of the Stuttgart Declaration of Guilt. From the 1950s on, he was a vocal pacifist and anti-war activist. Today, I read to you his poem, First, They Came. First, they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. 
Thank you for joining me for Holy Shenanigans to surprise, encourage, redirect, and sometimes turn life upside down, all in the name of love. You're invited to join me on this unpredictable spiritual adventure that is always sacred, but never stuffy. If you would like to support the ongoing production of Holy Shenanigans podcast, visit our Buy Me a Coffee supporter page at Buy Me a Coffee, Tara L. Eastman.